Hi, this is Tal, and welcome to the fifth episode of our podcast, Pay Attention. With me, as always, is our editor, Miri, for moral support and strict oversight. Um, our topic today is quite interesting. And how do I know that? Because it is probably the second most common question I get asked. COVID-19, Corona uh, virus, Corona pandemic, how did or how does, uh, depending on which part of the world you live in, how does it affect payments? So, uh Quite a lot to cover, uh, although I don't think it will be a relatively long episode today. Uh, but let's let's jump into it. So, and I, and I'm pretty sure this is um, not something that uh, would elicit anything other than a da. But um, I think it's it's fairly common sense to know that the first thing that changes uh, or has changed during this period is uh, customer behavior. So there are different things that have changed in the way that people purchase things and the way that people pay for them. Um, and obviously that makes sense. I mean, every large-scale event changes, and while we see changes happening all the time uh, for a variety of reasons, this is a pretty major uh, event that has uh, changed things. And uh, the first thing that has changed is... Uh, and again, this is nothing you know more than you know common sense. E-commerce is significantly grown uh, during 2020. Um, by the way, most of the data that I will be basing this um, my my conclusions on is data from 2020. So, you know, even though we are in May 2021, uh, we still don't have a lot of data to go for uh, from this year. Um, so 2020. So e-commerce is, is still growing. Um, how much we see about a 13 to 20 percent, depending on which part of the world, increase in preferring uh, to purchase online. Now, e-commerce is a trend that is growing every year. But especially during COVID, we see that the increase or in, in the growth rate is exponential compared to the previous years. And, and again, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty understood why. Um, the second thing I think would be more interesting and a bit, to be honest, was kind of surprising for me. Um, so e-commerce adoption is not dependent on government measures. So what does that mean? I said in the previous uh, comment that e-commerce has grown exponentially compared to the same uh, period in the previous years. However, you would think that you know certain businesses that due to government measures have been closed or uh, forced to work online, then... Um, these would be the ones affected, but we see that it's not necessarily the case. So even business types that were not affected by government measures, such as grocery stores, drug stores, pharmacies, uh, which all have remained open uh, because they're, they're considered to be essential pretty much across the world, have also seen a shift with consumers moving to purchase online in these places in, in ever-increasing numbers rather than go to the shop physically and buy. And again, it, it kind of makes sense because you see customers, because of the situation, um, they may be reluctant to leave their houses, um, and that's why 
there is record growth in in grocery stores and pharmacies uh, as well the third element of customer behavior that we've seen change during 2020 uh, during pandemic is the e-commerce adoption is expanding to demographics that traditionally were kind of hesitant to use uh, e-commerce and this has now uh, sort of forced them into changing their stance on this so if during 2019 about 20 to 25% of people above uh, the age of 60 um, were online shoppers. We see that uh, between a third and 40% of them during 2020 reported that they make the majority of their purchases online. And this is, this is a huge shift because traditionally, uh, you know, older people have been uh, slower in adopting new trends and new um, new ways of doing business and because they were forced to do so because of the pandemic and their perception of the pandemic that that is a driving force that uh, leads me also to the next point which i think is pretty much the most important one so obviously we are still in the midst of uh, um, of the pandemic but uh, so, you know, it's it's relatively early to to start summarizing things. But one of the things, the key things that I think will happen once the pandemic is over is things will not go back to how they were. So most of these changes in consumer behavior and consumer preferences and the way that customers purchase things, uh, this is here to stay even after the pandemic is over. And I would like to bring here a quote by uh, uh, Gero Fulheim that said, and I very much agree with that, that the corona pandemic has significantly accelerated the development of trade towards e-commerce and our industry has fulfilled its performance promise. The development will not be reversed. The social and political debate must therefore fundamentally change its perspective and in the future, e-commerce and its processes will be the starting point from which customers begin their shopping. City centers and retailers need this digital foundation in order to offer their customers added value with their stationary offers. And I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I think that, you know, there were a lot of contributing factors that sort of limited uh, people's exposure in certain demographics and in certain industries for certain product types limited uh, people's exposure to uh, the concept of e-commerce and online shopping. And once they were forced to do so because of the pandemic or because shops were closed and the only uh, option that they had was to purchase things online, suddenly people realized that, you know, the dragon is probably not so horrible and you can do that and you do receive your goods and services and it's pretty safe to to purchase online and you know it's not that complicated as you once thought and once you've crossed that threshold uh the next time is easier and the next time is easier and and then a lot of people they don't want to go to the shop anymore because they could do this from the comfort of their homes and i think this is a trend that will definitely continue i mean this has been the trend for the last I would say 10, 20 years, uh, but will continue to do so at an accelerated pace. So the 
and I think we, we've covered this, the, the major change that we see is the changes in customer behaviors, um, but it's not the only one. I would argue that maybe the next point that I will talk about is also changes in behavior, but here uh, we're more, it wouldn't be a, a pay attention podcast without uh, uh, talking about risk. So we also see an increase in risk during this time. Um, and, you know, this is, again, due to some changes in behavior, uh, both from customers and uh, fraudsters, as well as from merchants. But, um, yeah, let's dive into it. So the first thing that uh, we see is since a lot of the, the payments and a lot of shopping is moving online to an environment that we call CNP or card not present, uh, we also see with it the inevitable increase in fraud because card not present or online shopping is less secure than uh, physical uh, shopping, especially in uh, countries that have adopted the EMV uh, protocol. So there is a higher um, risk associated with it. Now, I you know I just want to put you know a caveat here. It's it's not. There is a higher risk, but the uh, it, it's not to say that online shopping or e-commerce is unsafe, uh, not by a long mile, but the it is to a very uh, small degree less secure than uh, physically shopping uh, with using an EMV uh, pin. Now, because of this, uh, fraudsters have been always looking at... Um, sort of exploiting this vulnerability and trying to conduct most of their fraudulent activity uh, online. And since more transactions are going online because of the pandemic, so we see an increase in, in fraud. In addition to that, you know, some, some fraudsters have exploited new uh, venues and new opportunities to commit fraud. And it just means that there are new new scams and new uh, things to be to be aware of so this is this is the first uh, the first thing i think one of the uh one of the first uh things that have exploited uh for the process used to exploit sort of uh, the the pandemic were uh, all kinds of uh, sanitizer scams that that were there uh people were literally selling uh <laughs> bottled water uh, labeled as as hand sanitizers, uh, people were hoarding toilet paper and selling it uh, in the beginning of the pandemic. So all of these, we saw uh, all kinds of issues of, of fraud uh, that were uh, more prevalent uh, due to the situation. The second thing that we see, and this is coming from the consumer side or the customer side, we see an exponential rise in chargebacks. Now, not only in what I would term... Uh, legitimate chargebacks. Uh, mostly the legitimate chargebacks, in my view, are related to bookings or transactions that were conducted in the uh, tourism industry. So flights, hotels, vacations, things like that. And people were forced to, uh, as a last resort, people fo were forced to, co to commit chargebacks because uh, they couldn't uh, fly anymore. They couldn't uh, enjoy their vacation. They couldn't use the hotel for the purpose for which they they intended it to, and they had no recourse other than to charge back. But we also see 
um, an exponential rise in chargebacks that I would call them not legitimate. A lot of people that may have found themselves in a less than optimal uh, financial situation and they are now using uh, the chargeback mechanism as, as a way of uh, eating the cake and keeping it, uh, having it full, uh, whereby they purchase something and then they charge back the, the purchase so they can enjoy the service or the product and not pay for it. So again, we see a huge rise in this uh, during the pandemic. And unfortunately, uh, exactly like in my previous points, things that we are adopting now will also be with us afterwards. So if someone is used to or has learned how to charge back a legitimate transaction because they want to uh, eat the cake uh, and uh, have it too, and they realize that it's a relatively short and painless process and the FBI SWAT team doesn't break down their doors immediately afterwards, uh, they're more likely to actually do it again and again and again and again. And from our experience, most of the um, people perpetuating chargebacks have had previous experience doing so. Uh, and it always starts with sort of a legitimate or half-legitimate chargebacks, and then you realize that's how easy it is, and then you go go right ahead and do it. But not a risk episode, so I'll just move on. The um, third change due to the pandemic, uh, I would say, or it's, uh, it's, it's a very broad one, is changes in merchant and PSP methodologies and operational guidelines. I, you know, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, payment services providers, PSPs, um, are businesses just like any other, which means that, you know, during the course of the pandemic, uh, PSPs had to face similar challenges as any other organization, just like their merchants. So, for instance, the need to work remotely, having employees who are sick, uh, quarantined, a decrease in turnover because some businesses were, um, you know, stopped processing because, you know, they stopped conducting business because of the situation. So all of this affected payment services providers as organizations, just like it affected everybody else. And in addition, based on the two changes that I've mentioned, so the uh, changes to customer behavior as well as the increased risk. The uh, PSPs found themselves also needing to make uh, a lot of changes, which is why it, it, it makes sense that a lot of them needed to give themselves two wake-up slaps uh, to look at the situation unfolding before them and to quickly adopt to these changes. And the two biggest challenges were, and, and I would argue that, you know, they, they still continue to be, um, of course, dealing with the rising increase in, in risk. Um, I would say that this is the major uh, challenge that a lot of, uh, a lot of PSPs face today. And um, the second one, and this is relevant, I would say, especially for the older uh, PSPs in the market, but not only. Uh, is dealing with an ever-increasing demand for digital services. So, you know, because customer behaviors have changed, there's a lot more uh, demand for digital services on behalf of merchants, and these merchants are in turn asking for digital services to be rendered by the payment services provider. And 
different PSPs chose to uh, deal with these challenges differently. Uh, I'm I'm not going to mention any names because I I don't want to shame anyone, but uh, it's it's quite clear that some PSPs dealt with the situation and with these challenges better than others. Um, but you know that that's a that's a topic for a, a whole new podcast, uh, a completely different episode where I can just talk about that. But suffice it to say that it remains an ongoing challenge for 2021 as well. And yeah, I know it's it's relatively short and simple, but th- these are the main issues that uh, we've seen during the pandemic. We've seen changes to customer behavior uh, that are here to stay. So mostly the move towards digital uh, services and goods and offering everything online and, and uh, fostering online shopping. Uh, businesses that didn't have that capability before are now already in twenty mid twenty twenty one either have that uh, capability or are out of business, uh, with a very few exceptions. For instance, Primark didn't have any online capacity before or after, but they still managed to sort of survive the the situation and good for them. Um, so this was one thing that changes the customer behavior. Second thing is increased risk due to uh, innovative actions by fraudsters um, and people's propensity to do chargebacks as a way of sort of mitigating um, financial situation. And the third one, changes to uh, PSP and merchant operational uh, guidelines and methodologies and sort of changing sort of the way they do business to address these uh, two changes in the customer behavior and, and the risk. And look, we are still in the midst of the corona pandemic and it isn't over yet not by a long way and while i've outlined the major changes that happened in the payment landscape i am by no means a prophet Uh, i don't know what the future will bring if there is one certainty i can leave you with uh, is that we will have a podcast to go over it so at with that note uh, that's that's it for me today remember to keep on sending uh, sending us your comments your thoughts your questions to podcast at fibonautics.com we really enjoy interacting with uh, with our listeners uh, you guys are awesome <laughs>